Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando, episode 67, and I've spoken to a lot of Really cool people over my radio career, uh, throughout this podcast thing, people I, I never would have ever expected to talk to. And I don't know if, I don't want to slight anybody else, but this might be one of those holy shit moments for me. Uh, Ricky Rackman is on the line with us. Somebody like I grew up watching. I mean, yeah, I grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, but it's it's the mix of the music and, and, and the broadcasting. Uh before I just gush too much all over you, uh, welcome to the AFD show, Ricky. This is going to suck if I'm a terrible guest now. With an intro like that, it's like, <laughs> I'm like I'm, you're like, we've talked to so many cool people, but now we're talking to Ricky Rackman. We have. I mean, I've been very lucky. I mean, we, in our show with Charlie Benanti. But now you've got me. So we're going to screw up the whole mix right now. See, that's great, some... You've had great guests and me. See, that's something I've always liked about you, how humble... You are. You always come across, even though you have all these great ties and you're actually friends with all these rock stars and these legends. You're just Ricky. You never came across as one of those arrogant VJs or or broadcaster. You never seemed awkward, even though that was not your initial uh, trade to be a broadcaster. You know, you you were in a band. You were in several bands. So it was just something I always kind of like emulated myself. You know, it was kind of like Ricky Rackman meets. Conan O'Brien meets like that's a kind of like how I, I perceive my radio persona a little bit. So right. I don't know. This is well, this, thank you. This is cool um, my arrogance came whether I was on TV or not. So that was always <laughs> good. I was always just kind of I'm 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 a contradiction in the way that I'm very I wouldn't say egotistical, but I'm also very very hard on myself to a fault. But like I think I'm great, but I also think I'm a piece of crap. And I'm my own worst enemy, my own worst critic. So that also kept me never thinking like, hey, I'm this great. And the good thing about my job is anytime I did think that I was doing something great, there was always plenty of people to tear me down. And, <laughs> so, and I had that I had same that thing. My whole career. Yeah, it, it's the same thing throughout my whole career as well. You know, a lot of times when I do this, the podcast or just when I did terrestrial radio, I'm like, oh, my God, that was garbage why does anyone hire me and i go back and listen i'm like oh that wasn't that bad that was okay right so that's, right so it's the same thing with this podcast i don't know what i'm doing but for some reason i've been uh, doing 60 second uh 67 episodes about two years in, interviewing people for like charlie benanti alan niven a couple times did uh, slash's son his first interview uh london his very first interview for the first time obviously i don't know why i'm repeating myself because i'm excited i think uh, so as I'm putting this monstrosity together and making a unique podcast, uh, my listeners know I try to start off every episode with a new segment. So don't be frightened by the soundbite, the really shitty soundbite, as I'm really not doing myself any, any justice now. So we do a new segment called Shotgun News. News. Get it? Because it's Guns N' Roses and Ricky's hanging up right now. 
<laughs> so basically what I do in the news segment is I kind of reflect on the last episode or anything else that's important going on in our in our world. So uh, our last episode. Who was we, on the last episode? James Hunting. I don't know if you know that name because you know was everybody. He on a reality show? No, not at all. He should be. Uh, he wasn't one of those singer guys that won. Well, then I'm going to look like a real idiot now. I have no clue. I thought he was one of those guys that won one of those contests for singing or something. No, no. Well, did I'm you? sure he was somebody that was very, very important. Or even worse, he's probably somebody that I know. Well, uh, maybe here's the, the, the tie. Uh, were you friends with West or Keen? Of course. So, exactly. So, James was the bassist on West's band, The Outpatients, 1996. I don't even I never saw the outpatients. I mean, when, when I would see Wes, when Wes would get up and play, it's when we do stuff like the drunk fucks or any of those things. But I never saw the outpatients. Well, they, well they, you have an I excuse. I Maybe I did. I don't know. No, because they never played live. He died shortly after. That, that would have been a lot worse if I said, oh, I saw him play a lot of times. <laughs> you did the, That would have been really bad. Like the fake thing that Howard Stern did in private parts when he was talking about like some sale at some, sh- uh, at some store. And he's like, you know, me and my parents used to go when we were younger. We, we didn't make a lot of money. We came out with so much stuff. And he's reading through the copy and he's like, oh. That makes no sense what I just said. I just told you I went there as a kid and now the grand opening. Well. I just, I think I was just caught in a lie. <laughs> no, the uh, the outpatients was, and why I reached out to him, that record technically had the last known recording that had Axel and Slash on it. This was after oh. GNR had broken up, and, and Duff was on it, Izzy, uh, even Robert John did the, the photography. So uh, I just want to, because I want to talk to you maybe about your memories of, of West. Of course, and, and again, thank you to, to Jamie Hunting for, for coming on the show and taking the time. But since you were the owner of the Cat House... I mean, what experiences did you have with, with West or, you know, I guess... The, the same or, experience I had with all the guys. Yeah, exactly. Nobody was supposed to be famous. We were all supposed to, we were just all just a bunch of drunk idiots. <laughs> and the cat house was the place that we got to hang out. And every single Tuesday night, it said Guns N' Roses 10, meaning anybody that was part of the Guns N' Roses club could come to the club and get in free and usually it was more than 10 and Wes could always bring whoever he wanted and Robert could always bring whoever he wanted. Of course, the guys brought whoever they want and Wes was just part of our inner circle. I mean, when the Cat House started, it was not supposed to be this big legendary nightclub that's still selling t-shirts worldwide. It was just Adele James said it best. It was a safe place for the for the misfits to hang out. It was someplace that we could hang out, that we weren't the pretty people from the Sunset Strip, and we weren't all like – we were the bad people. We were more punk rock than we were, you know, Warrant or, or stuff like that. We were like – you know, we were the bad people. You know, we didn't say we were because the bad people never say they're bad. <laughs> but we were the ones that had the – we were the gypsy junkies of rock and roll. And West was family. West was West was was there as well as you know the guys and Todd crew and all of us. You know we were part of that core circle. Mm. And I guess interviewed uh, Billy Rowe from uh, from Jet Boy as well. He was talking. What a about... nice guy! Billy oh yeah. Guy. Oh yeah. And uh, it was really nice to hear him say after everything that happened with with Todd and maybe some of the di- weird feelings. I don't. I can't think of a different like a better word than that. Just. I don't want to build any negativity towards it with maybe what happened with Slash. And he just said, you know what? Regardless of what happened, it sucks that he has to live with that. 
and he kind of hopes that maybe there will be a reunion bill with with Jet Boy and GNR since GNR seems to be reliving never, a lot of their old days. Never will happen. You don't think so? Yeah, I doubt that. I, I mean, first of all, I love Jet Boy. I like the music of Jet Boy. I like. I saw Mickey probably a month ago. I still am in contact with Mickey once in a while, and whenever I see any of those guys, I think they're great. From what I recall, and my problem is, and this is one of the reasons that the book isn't out, or one of the reasons that none of this stuff is out, is I have a very hard time with with memory recollection of anything. But from what I do recall was that when Todd was kicked out of Jet Boy, it was not a good thing. And what happened was the guys in Guns N' Roses, I, I opened up a club for one night, called it Night Train. And the band that was playing was the Drunk Fucks. And pretty much it was everybody setting up a band for Todd. Todd was just a great, I love Todd Crew, but he would get, he would get drunk, you know? And pretty much it wasn't a good from what I remember, maybe I'm telling a story that's wrong, but from what I remember, it wasn't on good terms between Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy because I thought Jet Boy was, I thought Todd was thrown out of Jet Boy. That's what I remember. Maybe I'm wrong. No, that's what, those guys up. that's what Billy said. He, he was thrown out kind of in the same way that Adler was thrown out of GNR, and there were some sort of hypocritical feelings at the time. And Billy just feels now and in, in, today in the present that. It could be healing for all the members and maybe pay tribute to Todd. But, you know, that's just me think, and my wish I don't list. Think that, I think that Guns N' Roses would never do anything like that. When Guns N' Roses is looking for a band that might open the show, they'll probably look for a band that's selling a million records. And this is not a slight on Jet Boy, but nobody, it, nobody would say, oh, cool, you know, Jet Boy is going to be playing with Guns N' Roses, just like they, you know, they wouldn't be saying it's so cool if – Faster Pussycat or L.A. Guns played with Guns N' Roses. I don't no, know. Maybe. I would think it was cool. I, I know, but we got to remember, Guns N' Roses are not that big rock band that we know that sold $3 million. They're the biggest rock and roll band in the world. They're the Rolling Stones. They're bigger than the Foo Fighters. They're that caliber. So it's most people that listen to Guns N' Roses don't know that era of music. That's fair. There's no Guns N' Roses of being the biggest rock and roll band in the world, and they don't think – you know, our first live show that we ever had at the Cat House. Cat House was a dance club. It was not a live venue. But then they wanted to do the record release party for Guns N' Roses. So the first night that we ever had any bands play, it was Guns N' Roses, Faster Pussycat, LA Guns, and Jet Boy. Playing Unplugged. It wasn't even, it was acoustic. It wasn't even Unplugged that night. There was no such thing as Unplugged. Hmm. But we were doing it. And those were the four bands because we were a family then and everybody was a family. But Guns N' Roses is just on a whole different level, and I don't think there's ever any part of them that would like to recap some of the stuff from the eight. I mean, I guess the box set. I mean, a box set. I'm, I was looking at pictures of the box set. Right. It's got flyers of shows that I did. <laughs> right. So, like, and today they actually, and this could be part of the GNR, the Shotgun News segment. They uh, in Denmark. The, the second show of this leg of the tour, they just debuted Shadow of Your Love, played it the first time since, I think, 87. So who knows like what they may want to do. But I hear you, because, I mean, no hey, one's... Well, let me tell you something. If mm-hmm. any of them want to call me, do anything with the Cat House brand, like they, they did in the new video anyway. I didn't know. I saw it on YouTube. Right. Um, please call me. I'd love to do it. I mean, I used to introduce Guns N' Roses for all the shows. You know, I was the guy that would go up there and introduce them. And, and when they needed a show, we'd promote them. And if Steven Adler needed a ride when they went to go open for Cheap Trick, I'd drive them. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was the best. But 
it's just on a whole different level now. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I really would love that box set. It's, I'd love it for my birthday, but I can't spend a grand for it. <laughs> wow, and it's, you know? it's coming from from you because that's when we spoke about the box set. We even spoke about it with Alan Niven because he was the one that initially shelved the It's So Easy video and just wanted to get his thoughts about today. I'm like, it's just too expensive for me. There are maybe two songs on there that I've never heard of before. Everything else I've heard of, all the demos. And yeah, if I made Howard Stern money, then yeah, sure, I could do it. But I love the but I want it. I purely want it. I don't really need the jewelry and all that other stuff. Right. But I do. I think the box that comes in is cool. I think it's got Cat House flyers on it. Yeah. I mean, I love, I believe me, I love the video. Mm. But I can't spend a thousand bucks on it, but I really want it. No, I, I, I mean, it, it's weird. It's tough. It's tough because Guns N' Roses, you know, it, it was tough for me going to a sporting event and hearing them pay welcome to jungle. Cause really? it didn't make sense. Cause to me, guns and roses is just that old punk rock band from Hollywood, but they're not, they're the biggest rock and roll band in the world. And hmm. you know, I watched all of this stuff happen and it was just so very surreal, you know, that, that, and, and Slash, who's just still Slash, he's just this great guy, you know, is one of the most famous guitarists on the planet. Ever. That's bizarre to me. <laughs> you know, that's bizarre right. to me. Because they're your friends. That's it. Like, the new, yeah. as you I mean, said I don't, it. Talk, I don't talk to him. Um, I, I mean, Gilby, I, whether you call Gilby a member of Guns N' Roses or not, Gilby I'm still in touch with. Okay. I will, I'll always be in touch. I talk to Gilby all the time. I always will. Slash, if I see him, I will always talk to Slash because I just think he's great. And occasionally he'll send a message here and there. But Axel is, was the one that I was closest with. And I haven't talked to Axel in, in a long, long time. And this is, this is something I never spoke about. This was always kind of weird. Um, one day Sebastian calls me and me and Axel were very, very close. I really thank Axel for everything that I got. I believe that that if it wasn't for Axel, I know I wouldn't have gotten the MTV job. That's a fact. Hmm. And if it wasn't for Axel insisting that they do stuff at the Cat House, the Cat House wouldn't be as you know. Axel is as important to the Cat House as Tammy was, in my opinion. You know, maybe even more so in a different way. But I haven't talked to Axel, and the last thing I heard was. Sebastian called like about a year ago. He said, dude, Axel was backstage saying that he misses you, talks about all the good times you had, that he really wants to hang out. I'm like, he knows how to get in touch with me. I would love to see him, mm. but I never do, and I never have, and, and I'd love to. He got mad because after me saying a gajillion times that I owe everything basically to Guns N' Roses, one time on MTV, I mentioned the estranged video, which was my favorite Guns N' Roses song to this day. But I said, and I think it was the estranged video, where I said that I didn't understand the jumping off skyscrapers swimming with dolphins. And right. that, I guess, was the thing that cut me out of the circle because Axel's always had his inner circle. And if you're cut out of the circle, you're out of the circle. And I can't say there's anything wrong with that. Somebody does me wrong they're not in my circle anymore. My circle's me by myself now, but still, you know? <laughs> Very De Niro, meet the parents-y a little bit. Did I not clearly explain the circle of trust to you, Greg? There were certain people, you know, that, you know, I hate, I don't know what happened, and I don't know who's at fault, but it always bummed me out that him and Robert John weren't so tight because they were, they were always together. So I don't really know what happened there, but I know that I owe a lot to Axel, and I... I wish I was in touch with him, but I'm not. And you know, I I don't I don't reach out. I don't try. But 
You well, know. It might be one of those who makes the first move, but I got to imagine if Sebastian said yeah, that to I you, that would be What, what kind ass. of move do I make that, you know, when I went to go see Guns N' Roses play a couple times, I hung out with Slash in his dressing room, and it was just very separate between him oh, and Axel. Okay. And it was very weird for me to go to a Guns N' Roses show one time, and I just went with a buddy, and I didn't go backstage and just go there and watch Guns N' Roses and not go backstage, just go to the show and go home. And I was like, oh, I was really kind of, it was kind of weird for me, but, you know, I mm. I can't be feeling like I'm entitled or anything like that just because I was there from back in the day or because, you know, we were all family. I get it. I get it from both angles because, I mean, you know, time goes on, people, you know, different paths. But if there was a connection there, that never goes away. And I'd like to think, like, you know, if you make that that comment on the air and if you were, you know, sincere about, hey, you know what, maybe that came out wrong. I would hope to maybe, well, maybe not at the time, but as the man he seems to be now, that's, an, that's a forgivable thing. That's not like you ran over so. his dog I, or something. I don't know what, for all I know is he doesn't, I mean, I believe me, that when Sebastian said that, I was shocked because I don't think Axel spends time thinking, you know, hey, I wonder what's up with Ricky, but Sebastian said he did, and and me and Axel had some incredible times. You know, he set up the audition. Him and Doug Goldstein set up my audition for MTV. Axel said, "Let's go to New York." I flew with Axel. Axel paid for the hotel. You know, um, whenever Cat House had a little bit of money, like you know, I bought those turquoise boots that Axel that Axel had. You know, and we both had boots together, and we have so many stories that were so incredible, you know, and, and I remember the cat house wasn't even open one night. I'm there early and he walks in, he goes, I want to, I want you to see something. And I'm like, okay. And he brings a video and they put the video in the player and watch the club wasn't even open. And it was a video for the paradise city video where he starts and he takes off his jacket and he's got a cat house shirt on. And I remember just thinking to myself, I need to order more cat house shirts. <laughs> and I know that I am still selling cat house shirts worldwide and a huge part of that is because of Guns N' Roses. Mm. You know, I know that Cat House was on the map because Axel was always wearing the shirts. He was th- he was mentioning me on stage all the time and the Cat House all the time. You know, and I and so I owe a lot. I owe a lot to that band. I know that. Even for a merchandising standpoint now, which GNR seems to be following in in the Kiss formula, just everything is branded and so why not just do you know cat house brought to you by guns and roses like even if you just wanted to do it as a business venture you're right all these old school tees are so popular now i mean i can see a- i don't want i mean i but I, I i mean i sell my shirts at cathousehollywood.com okay i don't want i don't want them to do one i don't want to lose grasp of it i mean the truth is with the, new, with the new video that they just re-released it was shot in 1989 entirely at the cat house you know, I watched the video and I'm watching it for the first time on YouTube and it says Guns N' Roses and then the Cat House logo comes on. I'm like, you know, nobody asked if they could use it. Mm-hmm. Nobody asked if I would sign anything. I don't know if they need to. And if they did, I would have done it anyway. Of course, when I look at stuff like that, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, I never looked at it like, oh, they didn't ask me. I looked at it as like, that is the coolest thing in the world. Like the Cat House Guns N' Roses video, you know, that is the greatest thing in the world. So, um, you know, I found out about that later than most people did, you know? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Nobody said, hey, we're going to put the Cat House logo in in the Guns N' Roses video. I mean, I wish they would do one big appetite show and call it the Cat House or something or whatever, you know? It, but, it's there. It's The legend is there. And, I, and there's still a, a want and a need to know about that, that era. 
that lost era of rock and roll, which really, especially in today's climate, I can't see happening ever again, you know, with social it justice. Cannot, it can't happen ever again. And the reason right. is because it was dangerous. Mm. It was not safe. It was not wet t-shirt night. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was just, it was the most incredible time ever that will never be duplicated and i wish i could remember more but i'm so happy that i was not only a part of it but i i created what was at the epicenter of it yeah you did and, and I, that, I, yeah and it's that's flattering i you know even though there were times when it was like yeah i know headbangers ball headbangers bubble and people mentioned the cat house i mean that is so flattering i'm building a, a studio right now that's for for podcasts or whatever i use it for and i'm calling it cat house south I read about that. So is that is that a new venture? Like, like where are you in that process? Because I'm excited to to see what you're going to come up with. Well, I, I have here's the problem. Everything I do is by myself, and I don't know what I'm doing with anything. I have one show that I want to do that's with another person that I'm not going to say who it is yet. Okay. And I'm going to be doing a lot of the podcast is going to have to do with my upcoming ride. And we'll see what else. I mean, the, the, the thing is, and this was something that I learned very recently, is the difference between me and, let's say, Eddie Trunk or Jose, who I love. I think the world of Jose. Way, sure, I used to be working at Sirius. He's a nice dude. He's, Jose's the best. But the thing is, I am not... And this, this, I said this in Spin Magazine, and everybody ripped me to shreds. I'm not the metal guy. I'm a guy that listens to music. I listen to metal. I listen to rock. I listen to heavy metal. I listen to punk, whatever. But I don't want to. I I I believe that I have a lot of different facets. I also don't go seek out trying to appear at the hairspray festival, you know. And that's why you'll see, you know, somebody like Eddie Trunk at every one of those festivals because he wants to be on those. I never asked to be on any of those. Never. That's why I'm not on them. I've also said that those guys know more about rock and roll than I do, but I lived more rock and roll than they ever will. Because I can't tell you who it's the true. producer, I can't tell you who the producer of the UFO album is, and I can't even tell you what the B-side of a lot of signals are, I singles it. are. Mm -hmm. But I can remember what happened when me and Slash woke up in the gutter. Or I can't remember, you know, what am I going to do when Axel's chasing David Bowie down the street or, or you know, helping Stephen Pearcey when he just got the shit beat out of him in front of the rainbow. I, you know, these are the things that happened to me. This was my life. This is not putting down those guys at all. And especially, I mean, if there was ever a headbangers ball and they didn't ask me to do it, I sure hope they'd ask Jose because Jose is a metal guy and he admits it. Right. But I so because with, with the reason that I'm saying that is for a while I wasn't really into talking about the Headbangers Ball. And if people wanted to talk to me about my charity motorcycle ride I did, or if they wanted to talk about my NASCAR show, or they wanted to talk about Cat House, I didn't really want to talk about Headbangers Ball because I felt like, look, that was 90 to 95. I am more than just a Headbangers Ball guy. You didn't want to be pigeon-held. Right. Now what I've realized very recently because there are people that they are just constantly trying to bring up their past. Hey, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. This is who I used to be. This is who I used to be. Right. That's all they do. Okay. And I like to think that I'm 
somewhat relevant today, whether it's true or not. However, what I've recently realized is that attitude is extremely selfish of me. And this is something I've realized in the past week or so. Mm. So for me not to talk about Headbangers Ball and not to talk about something that was very important to other people, when people go up and say, dude, I grew up watching you, which I hear every single day. I've always been like, Like today. (laughs) Okay. Every day I hear that. Every day I hear that. Okay. Mm -hmm. When somebody says that to me, I'm like, okay, what a dick move that is of me. If I went to Evil Knievel and said, hey, I want to talk about jumping motorcycles, he's like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about my painting. I'd like, or when I go see a band that I really want to see and they don't want to play their biggest hit because they're sick of playing it, they're selfish pricks too. And that's what I've been. So now I realize, look, I was blessed to be the host of Headbangers Ball and to be part of the Cat House era, but I'm being a prick not talking about it when it's so important to so many people. And it was hard for me to realize when Headbangers Ball was on, I was out. I did not watch my own show. Okay. So when somebody tells me that they used to videotape my show and they still have videotapes of it and I blow them off, that's a dick move of me because that show was very important to some people. That was the only way they ever heard about Pantera or Alice in Chains or Slayer. I have now realized how important that show is to everybody. Mm. You know, it's interesting, and, and here's something I feel like I do identify with you a little bit. You know, sometimes talking about the past for some people, that could be the dick move, saying, hey, remember me, remember me, and it's holding on to whatever, a 15 minutes of fame or an album or, or one movie or whatever. And there could be the other side of it that they don't want to talk about, like, like Robert Plant. You know, he doesn't want to talk about Zeppelin for whatever reason that he's given, that he's moved on since Bonham. You know, he's, he's tired of it. Does, is it selfish or is it just that's not who he is anymore? But there's also, like you said, there's the duality of it where you th- it means so much to so many other people. So it, there's, a, there's a fine line. As long as I believe if you're coming from a good place where it's not you're not coming from a place of arrogance, where it's not like you're embarrassed of the time, but you just know that you're – you're more than just a headbangers ball guy, and if that's all, so like someone sees you as like extreme, you know, like they're more than. But it is, it is still selfish. I was, uh, I work in NASCAR. People don't know I've had a NASCAR radio show for 15 years. This is something I wanted to do, so I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to one of the drivers and Brad Keselowski, big famous NASCAR guy, and he's like, I saw a video with you with uh, Kurt Cobain. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what did you used to do? <laughs> it's like there's people that have no idea. Mm. There's, I mean, there's people that only knew of me from Daisy of Love and Rock of Love and Charm School. Oh, wow. I've okay. been very lucky that I've got all these aspects. But I am, and I, and I did not want to be the guy from Headbangers Ball, but I am. And for all these years not talking about it, if I walked around – and now, you know, I do horror conventions once in a while. Yeah, that's And cool. it says Ricky Rackman from Headbangers Ball. And there's some people, like, I don't want to be, like, spend my life like, hi, I'm Butch Patrick. I was Eddie in, in, in I, Monsters. I've, I've done radio with Butch a few years ago, and he's still doing that. So that's really funny you mentioned that. He's still pushing. Okay, I, I'm, I'm using something hypothetical. I know that, but I, it's just. I don't I, know if that's true or not, but it's like. But it's true. I, that's why I'm, it's funny. If I walked around and my name's Ricky Headbangers Ball Rackman. That'd be stupid. I do a whole bunch of different stuff, but it's like, you know, I just bought a new house in January and this is the first time in four years that I'm hanging up all the gold and platinum records I have. Hmm. You know, it's like, I wasn't embarrassed of my past because I have the coolest past, but I sh- 
should be championing it. And I was, and it was, it was selfish of me not, I mean, yes, it's very, it gets monotonous when you talk to somebody and all they want to talk about is the same stuff, but that's important to them. So I, so it's my job to suck it up and talk to them with the excitement that they are asking them about it. You know, if I get to meet, if I get to meet, you know, I'm sorry if I get to meet Richard Dreyfus. I'm sure going to ask about Jaws. That's my favorite <laughs> movie in the world, you know. And he doesn't want to talk about that. I'm sure, but you know, it's selfish of me to not talk about that. Well, that's an interesting perspective, and I think that that's really cool because I mean, I'm gracious that you've came on this podcast and you said in the the tweet you put out at Rev Ricky Rackman. Uh, that you know, a lot of people have been asking you to do radio. I mean, aside, of course, from the NASCAR show, but to talk about Headbangers Ball, and and now you you're deciding to open up and and, and talk about it. And and before, because I want to get to the, of course, the main reason why you put out that tweet and the importance of uh, was it stop uh, suicide um, stop, stop soldiersuicide dot org, right? So I do want since you're okay with uh, Headbangers Ball, I want to play. This was, I guess, the first time you debuted uh, November Rain on uh, Headbangers Ball. So since it's, I'm a radio guy, I have to have some uh, production value. So this is uh, okay. after, uh, uh, who knows if you remember it. Kind of gives you chills, doesn't it? Truly amazing video. November Rain from Guns N' Roses. Did you see my, like, three seconds of fame in that? Three seconds, like three-tenths of a second in it? About the video, that last part that you see where with Axel just sitting there in the rain in the tuxedo I mean it looks like it could be a movie if he's ever I don't know if he has any plans of getting into acting but to me that is just a very powerful scene and I'm not really sure in the video how Stephanie Seymour dies in it but from what I hear that may be answered in the next Guns N' Roses video we'll see I thought that was a totally amazing video I'm sure you're gonna be seeing a lot on MTV you're gonna hear a lot of people talking about it very very powerful stuff hope you enjoyed it I enjoyed it and we're very glad to world premiere for you on the headbangers ball. Look at that. And if you're a Guns I mean, N' Roses you remember fan, that at all? And who isn't? You stay tuned because we've got some amazing <laughs> stuff I remember. coming up later on in the show. I remember I've had bands come up and tell me, yo, you interviewed me on headbangers ball, and I walk away and say, I never met that guy before in my life. That's and funny. sure enough, there they are. Well, what about, do you remember the actual filming of November Rain? How about that? Yes. Okay. Yes. First of all, I'm not the guy that went through the cake, okay? I'm not the guy <laughs> in the cake. <laughs> okay. All right. I showed up at the Rainbow for the segments at the rainbow that I was not in, we stayed up all night long, all night long, all the way up into the next morning until we went to the church and it just took all day long. And uh, then they just, Axel, I mean, Axel always used his friends. Axel always wanted to put his friends in stuff. So Axel said, you know, like, I want you to be in the November, in the wedding scene. So that was it. I mean, I just don't, I just remember that it just took forever because we went from shooting the scenes at the rainbow where they were at the rainbow, staying up all night long, going straight to that church to film it. So it wasn't like we took it the next day. It was just like an all night thing. Hmm. Do you, um, what was the main reason why Axel, uh, tried to get you or successfully did uh, be the host of Headbangers Ball on MTV. Like, what were your, your aspirations at the time? Because you were doing Cat House and were you also in bands at the same time? Like, Not how did that happen? Not doing anything. I wasn't in any bands that were doing anything. Okay. I mean, I, I don't remember what happened. I mean, the first time my name was ever on MTV, Faster Pussycat was a guest on MTV. And, Fa- and Tammy said, hey, I want to say hey to my roommate, Ricky. Probably digs hearing his name on MTV. Hmm. I'll never forget that. And then I started getting notoriety from the cat house. 
So I don't remember what happened, but I had mentioned something about wanting to host that show. Like that'd be cool. And Axel, it was, it was Axel and Doug Goldstein. And I don't remember, but they said, Hey, you know, they, they set up for me to be a, a like reporter in LA to report from the cat house and do stuff. And, and the cat house, I mean, this is, we didn't have internet and stuff like that, but the cat house was still very well known as far as rock and roll goes. That was like, you know, people are like, Oh, I heard there's people having sex in the stairways. I heard there's this. And most of the stuff was true. <laughs> okay. And, um, I don't remember what happened, but I remember Axel saying, Hey, you know, we got, you, we got you an audition. So we went to New York and we went to the China club and we sat at a table and met Abby, who was like the, I think president of MTV at that time. And then, um, we stayed at the Mayflower and Axel set up an audition for me. And, and I went in for the audition. I was just absolutely horrible. And, but I was Ricky from the cat house. So they wanted to give it a shot. And, you know, I, I just, I guess just kept doing it. And, that was pretty much it. But, it, you know, everybody knew, oh, Ricky got his audition because Axel hooked it up. So what? But you I still, I did. You still had to be successful at it. You still, if you went up there and just, you know, froze and started just sweating, you know. I was I, pretty I, shitty when I first started. I wasn't very good. Mm. I was really nervous. And I used cue cards. And then what happened is I stopped using scripts. I stopped using teleprompters. They would tell me the video and I would say whatever I wanted. Right on. I mean, there was so much drama with me bringing girls or girlfriends and breakups and all the stuff that would happen behind the scenes. And sometimes like the first time we used to hang out with, a, there was like seven or eight of us and we were called the alumni. And we all wore those leather vests like Axel wears in the uh, It's So Easy video. Okay. They said Cat House. They, they were three patch vests. They had said Cat House in Hollywood. And I mean, that was something you never let anybody else wear. There was initiations. It was it was our gang, and it and it was something that was very very important to us. And Axel used to wear his vest all the time. When we go out, we'd wear our vest, and the alumni would go out and cause trouble. And the first day that I got the job at MTV, I went out there and I brought all my friends with me, and we go to some club and we get in a massive fist fight with all these people. And the producers from MTV are like, "What the hell did we get ourselves into?" It's like, here's this guy Ricky and all his friends, and they're all getting in fist fight. <laughs> And they were just like, you know, they, cause I wasn't, you know, a VJ. I was not, you know, a guy that came from a TV or radio background. I was the guy that owned the cat house was this, you know, punk in the streets. See, so I, was, I like that to, to bring it uh, the, to the point before about, you know, the, the podcast network that you're creating and you're not an Eddie trunk. And that's not even putting it a slight. Like that's something that I'm always different. You know, that, that's why I I initially got into radio. I wanted to do sports radio, but I'm not a guy who memorizes stats. I'm not a guy like you said who memorizes producers or, you know, uh, maybe what track number is something is maybe other than uh, appetite. Uh, but I'm someone who I feel like try to live the lifestyle or I know how to connect with people. So that's why I feel like I. I can be on the radio. I can host a podcast like this, and I, I it's great when f- listeners and fans correct me with certain, you know, s- uh, stats or, or, or you know, dates or things of that nature. So you you lived it though, and it's the well, same. On my thing- Twitter account, what it says, and my Twitter isn't Rev Ricky Rackman. It says Reverend Ricky Rackman because I am a reverend, but it yep. says Ricky Rackman, R I K I R A C H T M A N. That's my Twitter account, Ricky Rackman. So, but it says it. It says um, I. 
couldn't play in a band. I couldn't drive a race car, but I make a living talking about people that did, hmm. to do it. And that's what I do. I mean, I played in music. I love playing music. I love racing cars, but I'm not good enough to make a living. But I am able to make a good living talking about, you know, I don't really talk about rock and roll that much anymore. And I, you know, I make a living talking about racing and, you know, and, and, and then I said, and I ride motorcycles really far. I talk about racing. I talk about rock and I ride motorcycles really far. Oh, That's yeah, you said did. you didn't know how to talk shop. Oh, you know, like, all the parts and things like that. I saw your tweet the other oh, day. Oh, I, I have no idea. I mean, I... I, go, I, <laughs> I like I, that. I, I ride, I'm, I'll ride my motors. It's like, I mean, me and Tammy would be in L.A., and we're like, hey, let's go to Mexico for lunch, and we do that. And I've ridden, you know, I've ridden coast-to-coast coast nine times, Mexico to Canada three times. Cool. And, uh, and I couldn't tell you the first thing about working on a motorcycle. I don't need to. But you have the passion, and that comes across in your voice. And that's why, you know, um, even before you, you decided to do um, this interview, we had a, a little back and forth on, on Twitter when you said, you know, you might want to create another show like you had with, with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. And I suggested— Love line. Yeah, yeah I'm lo- going to do a show. I mean, I will tell you this, which is more than anybody knows. I'm going to do a show, and the topic is love and sex and relationships, but it's not coming from an expert's point of view. It'll come from the point of, uh, you know, talking about the stress. I mean, it sounds as innocent as it is, but the stress of the first kiss. The first kiss is a lot of times a real stressful thing. This doesn't mean that this is a family-friendly thing that I'm talking about for kids. I'm talking about me, a guy, slut, pig, when you meet a girl that you that you really like, it's really hard to do that first kiss. Sure, you know, it's uh, and I'll talk about relationships and I'll talk about bizarre things, but I want to talk talk about difference in cultures of men and women. And like I did on Loveline, it's not an advice show; it's a show that shares experiences, and that's what I want to do. And the reason I want to do that is because. It's easy, and it's going to be. I've got my co-host already. Okay. And um, it's something that's going to be. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to be really, really cool. I'm looking forward to it because, um, you know, so I'm excited to see like who you you, you came up with because that's sort of that's what I would want. I don't want someone giving me advice. I want someone to share their experiences and see how I relate or don't relate, and just make it uh, applicable to my life. And that's what I like. What you. You did well, on the a, first on a, thing that I'm uh-huh. going to be doing is is going to be revolving, and I don't have a whole lot of time. But the first thing that I'm going to be doing is going to be a podcast that basically is a daily report from Ricky's ride. This year, I'm riding my motorcycle 18,000 cool. miles. My route is designated by people on social media, and every day I'm going to go on and tell everybody, okay, hey, today I was in Oklahoma. We went to this place that had this barbecue and oh my god i went and played chicken shit bingo in austin texas or i swam like a mermaid in in great falls montana or i did you know it's so i'm going to be doing that just because the rides are the things that i think i'm most proud of because the rides i go ride anywhere in america and people come and stop me and visit me and have fun with me and there is nothing cooler than that you know, it's just so fun. That's why I'm glad you're going to get your voice out there, regardless of whether it's a romantic show, whether it's Ricky's Ride, whether you want to do a, not a metal show, but something where you're talking about Headbangers Ball, to get your voice out there, because you have, you know, great opinions, you have great stories, and I think you're you're a voice that's missing in, in rock right now, which is, I mean, at least here in America, is hurting. Here's the other reason that I'm starting Cat House South, is I tried so hard to get a job at Sirius, 
I said, look. They I wouldn't hire you at Sirius? They won't even return my Get damn Get the fuck call. out. Fuck. Oh, whatever. They would not. And, and here's the thing. It's like I'm like, hey, you can put me on liquid metal. You can put me on Ozzy's Boneyard. You could put me on Hair Nation. You could put me on Volume. You could even put me on NASCAR Radio. They have the worst. Oh, put me whatever. on any of those oh my things. God. They wouldn't even return my calls. And every so often I would send like a little text like, hey, let's talk about this since this is coming up. Why don't you have me as a guest on this show, on this channel they have called Volume, right. where they do nothing but talk about music. You're better than the, you're better than a Nick Carter. Like I just like they won't even return my calls. That's offensive so, to me. So it gets well. I was so it gets to a point that I'm like, maybe I'm not that good. Maybe I'm not that interesting. Who am I? Like I would think. I mean, maybe it's my own ego, but I would think having Ricky Rackman on your metal station would be pretty good because I'm going to talk shit. I'm going to be very opinionated. I'm going to play music, and there's a lot of current bands that I'm still good friends with. Now, when I say friends, I don't mean hanging out backstage. I mean, you know, these are my pe- the people that I hang out with. These are the people that I'll go ride 2,000 miles, just me and Chris Kale, or I'll hang from Five Finger Death Punch, sure. or I'll just hang out and, you know, just have like real conversations about nothing rock and roll with Mark Morton of Lamb of God. Or these are the people that are like, they're not bands. They're my friends that happen to be in bands. You know, and that's the way it's always been. But they have no interest in that. That makes no sense. And I, I don't know if it's somebody there doesn't like me because they know that I'm not going to be the typical lolly lolly guy. I'm opinionated. You know, my opinions have got me in fights. My opinions have got me in trouble. But that's just the way I am. I'm I mean, they just honest. I mean, they just uh, I mean, they don't have to deal with them anymore. But I mean, they had Opie and Anthony for God knows how many years. I mean, they need the names. Once Howard leaves, I mean, he's not going to be there forever. They're going to need the names to bring people in. So, I, I mean, just, I mean, but I thought up. I said, look, I decided I was going to do a show called Radio Cat House on KNEC in Los Angeles. We put it on late at night, one night a week. It was the highest rating that station ever got. I played music, and I have every type of music. I mean, I might have, you know, the guys from Anthrax on, and then for the hell of it, bring in a guy from Social Distortion. Mm-hmm. You know, we would do everything, but we'd always talk about everything. It was the highest rating that that, that show ever got. When I did Love Line, I got a 19 share in Los Angeles, got that show syndicated. Now, what happened was I did talk radio in L.A. for a while, mm-hmm. had a very successful talk radio career, and I beat up another DJ and lost my job and went – it's a whole long story. Okay, I find it very hard to believe that that's the reason that they're keeping me off radio. I don't believe the whole Kathy Griffin, I'm blackballed story. <laughs> I think that there's somebody that's probably at Sirius XM. You know what? I'll just say it this way. I believe there's somebody at Sirius XM that's just flat out intimidated by me, that doesn't want me there because they're worried that I'm going to be there and I'm going to be intimidated. I'm not going to be a kiss ass. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to have fun. When I was a little kid, little kid, there was Wolfman Jack on the radio. Sure. Wolfman Jack used to get on the radio and you say, and all the people that are partying at the drive-in and I know you're out there. And I was like, Fuck yeah, man. You're having a party with Wolfman Jack. Nobody does that. I could give a rat's ass who wrote the liner notes on the European import of this song. Right on. I could care less about it. But I'd rather have fun with the guy that's driving in his truck, 
that wants to know how cool Dimebag Daryl was. And if I tell you how cool Dimebag Daryl is, chances are I'm going to tell you because I hung out with him, not because I was the MC at the record release party. Right, right. You I know? hate that when people in, in uh, my radio world they say, oh, my, my buddy, my boy, and they're uh, not your friend. Because no, they follow you on Instagram? I, no. Like, people would rip me to shreds because I was always saying, ah, oh, my good friend, my good friend. And I watched the shows and I'm like, oh, my God. I just said my good friend Suicidal, my good friend's Glenn Danzig, <laughs> and my good friend Body Count in the same show. I would hate me if I was watching. However... My birthday party's next week, and those guys are playing my birthday party and not getting paid. Oh, so the cool. problem was those people were my friend. I still look at Ice-T as being a friend. Yeah, I guess so, the you way know? you guys put up. That's, that's different. That's a, that's a radio crutch. So if you actually went back and, and watched yourself, you would pick up on those things. Oh, I'm saying that too much, even though you were being serious. Oh, I, but I did. I mean, saying, and I was criticized. Oh, everybody's his friend. Well, the problem was they were my friends. The problem is my friends just happened to start in bands. Now, all these people that I'm saying were my friends were my friends before they were ever in a band, you know? Right. So, but it, it really was, you know, because I owned the cat house. These people were my friends. You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, though. I will say this, because you mentioned the serious thing, and, and before, of course, we get to the, the charity, things that I, I, I kind of relate to you uh, as well, in, in a lot of ways throughout this conversation. So I, I hadn't said this on the air yet. Uh, so I was at Sirius for a year. It, I kid you not, I, I printed out the job sheet, the amount of jobs that I applied to. And I know it's hard getting jobs in radio, but there were 80 jobs that I applied to, eight zero. The only reason I finally got in was a friend of mine I went to college with, and he got me a job at the Catholic Channel. Now, I know you don't know much about me, about me, but I'm a Jew. Uh, it's not like I, you know, you see horns in a tail, but they, I don't care about what, radio's radio to me. I, I figured that's how I work my way up. So I you know, got a job at the Catholic Channel at Sirius, and I had my friends introduce me to other friends there. And that's how I met Ho- right. Jose uh, from, from Sirius with Liquid Metal. And he was so nice. And he's like, you know, make me a demo. And that's what happened with even with some other people, other rock stations, because that's what I wanted to do. And even my program director knew that. But I, I was a good employee, did what I need, needed, to, uh, needed to do. But one day I got a complaint from HR that I'm going around talking to people. Through other people. Like, that's how you network. So I'm wondering, because, uh, again, I, I didn't know you don't know, know too much about me, and this may lead to our, the charity discussion after, but I have a physical handicap. So I walk around with a limp, and I have a, uh, a cane. So I, And there's some people who see me, because I'm in my early 30s, uh, maybe at the time at Sirius, I was in my 20s, I think, that would just see that it was part of my shtick. Like I'm some tattooed, bearded guy walking around with a cane. I think I'm just, even girls would say that to me. I'm walking around with some arrogance. So it came down to when I finally got in touch with HR that they advised me to leave Sirius and maybe come back in a few years, you know, when, when the heat was off. So I felt blackballed by that place. So there's something weird going on. And that's only me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nobody. But for them to do that to you, Ricky, is fucked up. But it wasn't that they did it to me. It got to be the point that, that it feels I like it. myself. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the guy that hosted Headbangers Ball. Wouldn't you be interested in doing a show called Ricky Rackman's Ball on Saturday night? And this is not to slam those other guys, but they've all been kind of pricky. And some of them are nice, you know, but I'm like, you know, 
Guys, you guys are on satellite radio. I don't give a rat's ass, okay? And it sure wasn't money because, you know, I just bought a house. I'm doing fine. It wasn't a money situation. But for you not to be interested in hearing Radio Cat House or doing a show called The Ball or not even ask me to cut a demo? That's insane to me. Like, so my thing is it's like, fuck, they're serious. They must know what they're doing. I must not be as big as I think I am. And so I question myself, and then I'm like, why can't I get a job? Why won't they even return my calls? And then I'm like, I think somebody's either intimidated. It's like, I love Jose. I think Jose is great. I think he's got a great attitude. He's an awesome dude. He's always complimentary to me. But it's like, dude, why didn't you put me on the air one time? Once. Not even as a guest? Let me do a show. Let me do a show. Never. Oh, no, he's had me as a guest. Oh, okay. And this isn't slamming Jose. I like Jose. No, because I, really like I mean, he's. And I think Jose does right. a great job. But I'm like, dude, if you're the guy that's in charge, I was the host of Headbangers Ball. Let me do a show that just plays thrash. There's always somebody else. Let me in do charge. a show that just plays the. Huh? There's always somebody else. I mean, yeah, Jose is the program director, but there's always somebody above him that makes all like those money. Whoever things. it is. I mean, they you used know, to have a guy suit. there. And I don't mind this being on the air at all. They used to have a guy there that was named Greg Steele. Okay. Greg Steele jerked me around for well over a year. And he was just having fun, batting me around like a kitten. This was his fun. You know? I don't get it. I was not broke. I was not broke, okay? I had a syndicated show on 100 stations, 100 radio stations. And he was just being a dick. And I'm just like, whatever. So the thing is, I don't beg for work. I'm not desperate. I honestly wanted to do it, and I know this sounds goofy, but for the craft of wanting to tell my rock and roll story. I hear you. Wanting to have a good time, wanting to play music, and you guys don't want to do it? You guys don't even want to give me the chance? You don't even want to return my calls? Screw you. Well, this is why I'm glad that you are doing the, the, the podcast thing now, because something that I've realized— Yeah, but who knows what's going to happen, because but, I'm doing it by myself. But, but here's the thing— I have no idea. But here's you. the thing, Ricky, and uh, I will—I can either edit this out or not. I will— I would offer my help to you because I, I've been well, thank you. I've been doing this uh, podcast thing basically myself. I did have a, a co-host, a friend of mine I used to work with at Sirius, but now it's totally me who edits everything, books all the interviews, everything. I mean, yes, I get help from listeners, but it's basically me. Uh, that through this has been the most creatively satisfying, and I've talked to more people, not like in the Harvey Weinstein way, but the emotional way, uh, every like around the world that they've ever had an FM. Like listeners in so many different countries who speak different languages reach out to me that I'm, I would never would have had this chance to talk to Ricky Rackman on terrestrial radio or sometimes even satellite radio because they they pretend like, oh we're satellite, but they have their own restrictions as well. So I think well, yeah, it's it's going to be a good thing. I also noticed. There's not that many people listening. Like, I'll do a satellite show, and nobody ever says, oh, I heard you on— They don't give oh. out the numbers. That's what it is. That's yeah. what's—I mean, you just never know uh, what their ratings are and why their numbers seem so big. is because they make deals with cars. It comes with cars. Otherwise, right. if— But the thing is, is I like it. I have satellite radio. I listen. I listen to Channel 40. I listen to Shooter Jennings' show. I listen to everything. You know, I listen to—but it's just— you know, like the talk station, I'm like, 
really, you guys aren't even interested in having me as a guest to talk about music? Screw you. Do your own thing, and that's kind of what I did, and I really thought this was going to be a joke. I'm like, who's going to listen to 5GNR fans, and here I am two years later. Hey, I know you're you're really pressed for time, and I, oh, I've kept you almost an hour, so before we get out of here, I'm sorry I didn't get to it earlier, uh, I want to talk about... You know, the main reason why you actually came on, and that is uh, StopSoldierSuicide.org. So so can you please uh, tell us about it? Um, Ricky's Ride, the website is R-I-K-I-S-R-I-D-E.com. I'm riding everywhere in America. People go on any of my social medias at Ricky Rackman. Tell me places to go. I'll go there. I have a blast doing it. And if you're so inclined, go to my website and donate to Stop Soldier Suicide. 22 veterans kill themselves every single day. 22 soldiers. There's more soldiers getting killed by suicide, that kill themselves with suicide than there were killed in the war, you know? So I just decided that I'm raising money for that. The money doesn't go to my gas. The money doesn't go to my hotels. The money doesn't go to anything. Every penny that people donate on my website goes straight to Stop Soldier Suicide. So if they go to rickysride.com, if you want to pay, I'll pay for the ride, then go buy a cat house shirt or, you know, Whatever, but that there's my pitch. <laughs> well, thank you for for doing that. And I know you got to run because I, my listeners know suicide's close to my heart because uh, that's how I lost my dad. It's a battle that I <sighs> I faced uh, my entire life. You know, thank God I have such a wonderful therapist and medication. So you know, it affects everybody, not just our veterans. But I'm so glad that someone like you so, is bringing attention so, uh, to something like this. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for giving me the time. And maybe I'll come on again when I have a little bit more time. You're always welcome. And if you ever. And I've had less coffee. <laughs> I, I hear you. And if you need uh, help with anything else, you know, with the, the podcast stuff, can definitely help you out. But I don't want to keep you any Thanks, longer. Buddy. Thank you so much, Ricky. I appreciate it. You got it. Hope to talk soon. Buddy, I appreciate it. You got it. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, that was so cool for me. I mean, I don't know about you and, and listening to it. I got to imagine. I mean, how can you not enjoy hearing Ricky Rackman talk, I mean, I miss it. I mean, I yes, he's still on the radio doing NASCAR, but I'm just not a racing fan, so I never really get to listen to him. So that's why, you know, I love following him on Twitter. And, you know, after all this time to, to, to have him on this podcast, to, to talk to him as somebody who grew up uh, watching him on Headbangers Ball, this was just a great moment for me and, and hopefully for, for you as well. Um, that's what the AFD show is, is all about, just – you know, great conversations, connecting to different people. You know, I say that a lot, but I mean it. And I want the conversations to continue. Actually, the next conversation we're going to have is going to be with uh, with Graham Whitford. That last name should sound familiar because Brad Whitford, of course, of Aerosmith. So Graham is his son. And if you're not aware, he is with Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, who are once again opening up for Guns N' Roses. How cool is that? So we had Tyler Bryant on the show before, and the next episode we're going to talk to to Graham. We're going to talk to him, of course, about growing up, what it's like having a member of Aerosmith uh, as a dad, what how that you know impacted him. We asked those questions, similar questions to, to London Hudson in regards to having Slash as a dad. And we're going to talk to him, you know, about opening up for, for GNR. And I'm sure a lot of other cool stories we'll, we'll get from him as well. So thanks for hanging out for episode 67 of the AFD show. Of course, you can follow and subscribe on uh, iHeartRadio, the iHeartRadio app, on Spreaker, on SoundCloud. We still are on iTunes, but if you are a... You know, an avid member of the GNR forums. If you kind of know one, like if you know that, um, 
the underground GNR universe with all the usernames and forms and all that, there have been some issues going on with that uh, Saskatoon show. I'm sorry if I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, that was just released in 1993 show, and there have been some douchebags out there putting out copyright claims on it who have no business affiliation with it other than just wanting to be trolls and somehow want GNR to notice them. So they kind of did a similar thing with me in iTunes, but uh, you know I'll win out in the end because how can you copyright my show? It's my show. It's me talking to people, having organic conversations, and I always credit any sound clip that I play. So just uh, a bunch of douchebags out there, and if you follow, I guess, uh, on Twitter or Facebook, maybe you can put the pieces together. But we still are on iTunes. I want to say that. Uh, that was the point of it. And, and Stitcher as well. And I am thinking about making a YouTube channel. I think it's time. But just like Ricky said, you know, as far as his podcast is, is concerned, it's just him doing it. And it's a lot of work. So it's just me doing it. It's a lot of work, but I want to put in the work for you. And I guess also on the same uh, thought process as Ricky uh, wanting to create a podcast network, I got to thank you know some another platform that we're on, the podcast network that we're on, or we're, we're creating a podcast network. And that's with AlternativeNation.net. Um, we have created, of course, well, he's he's now uh, Brett, the, the owner and creator of Alt Nation, uh, has featured and does continue to feature um, Appetite for Distortion on, on the website. And he transcribes a lot of my interviews, which helps me get picked up by other news outlets, which is just awesome. And if you haven't noticed, maybe if you follow us on Facebook and, uh, and or Twitter, facebook.com uh, slash The AFD Show, or on Twitter at The AFD Show, I have tweeted out about a couple interviews I did for uh, a new podcast with the Alt Nation uh, Podcast Network, and that's uh, Desperate Times uh, 90s Music Podcast. That's a great Facebook page if you want to follow that. I did interviews with uh, with Sully from Godsmack and recently interviewed uh, uh, the, the former manager, of course former manager now, uh, of Jeff Buckley, you know, Dave Laurie. So uh, those interviews are out there. Uh, you can actually watch them. I, we did Facebook Lives. So a lot of cool things have happened, a lot of cool things could happen down the road and that's all thanks to you i wouldn't be doing this podcast there's no way i'd be talking to ricky rackman uh today if it wasn't for you uh listening downloading you know following retweeting sharing so thank you so much so until the next episode of the afd show well when is that going to be in the words of axel rose concerning chinese democracy i don't know if soon is the word but you'll see it security, I'm going home.